Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. So growing up, I lived a lot of different places. Spent a number of years in Missouri. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there is no ocean in the Midwest. I feel like they should have to tell you that before you move there. But apparently they do not. So for a long time, living in the Midwest, far from the ocean, my desktop computer had an image like this one on it. Right? Nice little mental vacation whenever I looked at it. I could pretend that I was not in my office working, but that I was instead on a beach. Very refreshing. So we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to encourage a little interaction. I know oh, it's church and we're going to engage. That's super weird because especially, you know, you grew up Catholic, you're recovering traditional Baptist, you were taught like you don't do anything in church, you don't say anything because the guy on stage is kind of like a T-Rex. Right? He can't see if you don't move. So we're going to ignore all that because it's dumb. And we're going to ask you a question. If we can pull that image back up here. If you had a choice between being, that's not, I really like the color gray though. So being here, sitting on the beach, not a lot of people around, comfy chair, just relaxing all day, physically be in that spot. Or you can look at that picture all day. Who's going to the beach? I promise I'm not going to call on you. It's not like class. It's fine. You can put your hand up. Right? Because nobody's sitting there, like, sitting there going like, oh, I could go to the beach and relax. Or I could look at a picture of it while i got a spreadsheet in my office. That sounds way better. Let me pick that. Right? Pictures are great. Right? There's nothing to get wrong with pictures. They're awesome. They let us see. They remind us of people and places and experiences in our lives. Pictures are, are a wonderful tool, but they're not the same is the real thing, right? Now you want to go to the beach, right? You don't live in the Midwest. You can just go to it. You don't need to look at a picture of it because pictures are great, but there's always something greater. If you had a choice between spending time with someone that you love or looking at a picture of them, anybody taken the picture? For all great things that pictures are. They are nothing more than a shadow of something greater. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8 starting in verse 1. Our author kind of starts making a comparison between two covenants that exist. The Bible's divided into two parts, right? The first, you've got the old covenant, which is the story of creation all the way to about 500 years before the incarnation. And the New Testament, which is the story of the birth of Jesus all the way through the birth of the church and the establishment of our mission until Jesus returns. And each testament has its own covenant. The old covenant, God's special relationship with the physical nation of Israel. The new covenant, this God's special relationship with the spiritual nation of Israel. 
And now, the author, writing to an audience that has been a part of the old covenant, now transitioned to the new covenant, and under persecution, they're considering going back to the old way because it was safer. He begins comparing them so they can understand the difference between what they have and what they're thinking about going back to. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Okay, so a couple things to note here. The tent that he's referencing is the tabernacle. So after God delivered the Israelites from their captivity in Egypt, while they're traveling through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, God sets them apart to be his people. He gives them the law. He enters into a covenant relationship with them, and he says, I will be their God. They will be my people. And in Exodus 25, God says to Moses, let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And so that sanctuary is the tabernacle. The sanctuary of God. It is where God's presence dwelt among his people, his home among his people. And that tent, that tabernacle, was home to a lot of really interesting things, things that have still kind of captured our attention, our hearts. If you see uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Crusade, or the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right, that's that's the Ark of the Covenant. That's in the tabernacle. Or also in the tabernacle, there's this thing called the mercy seat, which is really popular amongst, we'll call them revelation enthusiasts. They love talking about that seat. But the tabernacle is this portable tent that the people of God would take with them and they would set up in their camp as they moved through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And it is a very, kind of unique design one of the things that they, they tell you if you're remodeling a house before you sell it is don't go too crazy with your designs. Don't go too trendy because trends change. Don't do wild colors because you're limiting who's going to be interested in the home, right? So if you're going to sell your house, don't paint it bright pink because, like, the Pepto Barbie crowd is real small, okay? You're not going to get as much people wanting to see a pink house as a regular colored house. Well, the tabernacle kind of ignores some of those instructions, right? It is a bold blend of colors. You've got reds, blues, purples of textures. You've got gold, bronze, multiple types of wood, leather. It is this odd mix of designs. It is very specific and very vibrant. The tabernacle was divided into three parts. You have an outer court that you would enter into. Then if you went through the outer court, you would get to the holy place. And then if you continued through the holy place, you would get to the holy of holies. And prior to the construction of Solomon's temple in 950 BC, the tabernacle was the most important place of worship in the world. Because it is where God's presence dwelt. It was his residence among his people. It's also called the tent of meeting and the sanctuary. Hold on, I got a question. If it's called the sanctuary, why don't we call this room the sanctuary? Right, church I grew up in, you went and you worshiped in the sanctuary. 
right? So is that just it's not trendy enough to call it sanctuary anymore? We want to be a cool church that uses words like auditorium so that the pastor can say things like dope in a sermon. That's what we're going for here. I'm glad you asked. The word sanctuary describes the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, that was a physical place, a specific place that you and I would never have been allowed to enter. Because not only are we not Jewish, we are not of the tribe of Levi, and we're not the high priest who's the only dude that be allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. But in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and that changes See, in John 4, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at a well, and the woman says to him, hey, your people say we worship on this mountain. My people say we worship on this mountain. Who's right? And Jesus says to her in verse 24, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Worship has changed. The holy place has changed from being a specific physical location to being about a spiritual connection. The reason that we do not call this space the sanctuary is because it isn't one. The sanctuary is where God dwells. God does not dwell in this space. He dwells in this one. The second thing to note here is Jesus' posture. If you look back at verse 1, what is Jesus doing? He is sitting. You know what Levitical priests are never depicted as doing? Sitting. You know why? Let's take a sneak peek at chapter 10, verse 11. I checked it's Rick's week, so I don't mind stealing it from him. Verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Levitical priests are always depicted as standing because their work is never done. The sacrifices that they offer never accomplish atonement because trying to atone for cosmic sin against an infinitely holy God with the blood of bulls and goats is like trying to pay off your mortgage with monopoly money. Doesn't matter how much of it you send to the bank, they're not going to cancel that debt. But Jesus is sitting because Jesus' atoning work is done. It is completed. He has finished it. And so he sits down because he has achieved what the Levitical priest could never hope to accomplish. Church, our hope, our faith is not in some hope of a future thing that Jesus might do. Our faith is in the confidence of what Jesus has already done. His work is complete. His atonement is done. It is finished. Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not have been a priest at all. This is because Jesus was not born into the tribe of Levi. Since there are priests who are offering gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, 
He was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. When God told Moses to build the tabernacle, he told him to build it according to the pattern that was shown to him. What that means is that Moses was not just given a list of instructions, but that when he was on Mount Sinai, Moses saw something. What that something is, we have a whole bunch of no idea. Which, of course, leads scholars to do the thing that scholars love to do, and that is speculate wildly and baselessly. And so we come up with some really weird and fun theories about what this model thing would have looked like. Uh, and because I'm me and I can't help myself, I'm going to share a couple of them with you. One theory is that when Moses was on Mount Sinai, a chair of fire, a table of fire, an ark of fire, and a candle of fire, because that's what candles are for, containing fire, came down from heaven, and Moses saw a little fire model of the tabernacle. Why is it fire? I have no idea. There's no explanation for why they think it was a bunch of fire, maybe because the whole burning bush thing, and they're like, Moses just has lots of fire in his life, little pyro leader that he is. All right. I didn't think I was going to say pyro in church today. <laughs> the other, which I think I like a little more, is that Gabriel came down wearing, I kid you not, an angel apron. Because, you know, why wouldn't he be wearing an apron? Maybe he's cooking lunch before he came down? Okay. So Gabriel comes down and he gives Moses a little Tim the Toolman Taylor tutorial of how to build the tabernacle. Well, again, I don't know if you give him a vision of the thing or he has like a Lego set that he made it out of. But the notion of the ideas that people have come up with for how this worked are absolutely ridiculous. But the point is that the tabernacle that was made on earth was not designed at random. But that it was built as a model of something that actually exists in heaven. And the greater point that the author is making is the temple where the presence of God dwells, the most holy place on earth. The symbol of national pride is nothing more than a shadow. Which is kind of mind-blowing when you consider some of the things that happen around it, like 2 Samuel 6, 7, where the ark is being transported by an ox, and one of the oxen stumbles, and so the ark starts to fall, and a guy named Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark to keep it from falling, and is immediately struck down. That's how holy, how sacred, how revered these things are. And he's saying that the, these things aren't even the real authentic item, that they're replicas, they're shadows, that they're pictures of something even greater. All throughout the Bible, God uses images pictures, physical things that we can see to illustrate and help us understand spiritual realities that we cannot see. This tent, the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is the most important place of worship before construction of Solomon's temple, and yet the temple, the dietary laws, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, they are not real. They're replicas. They're shadows of something greater. 
And church, Jesus didn't come to be the best shadow. He came to drive shadows out. The law is the picture. Jesus is the real thing. And what this tells us, the point that the author is making here, is that everything that you see in the Old Testament, it's about Jesus. The center of the history of redemption is the cross. And every act of grace and mercy prior to the cross looks forward to it. And every act of grace and mercy thereafter flows out of it. But at the center of redemption, at the center of the Bible, at the center of history and life and everything is Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And if you look at something in the Old Testament, you get caught up, oh, wow, look at this thing. Let's focus on that thing. And you don't turn it to Jesus. You've missed the whole point. Because the traditions and the rituals, the laws and the practices, the priesthood and the temple itself, they're done. They're over. They're complete. Because they were fulfilled in Jesus. We are no longer bound to them. They are a shadow. Jesus is the light. They are a picture. Jesus is the real thing. And Jesus came to make all things new. He came that we would have the newness of life. Church, the life that Jesus came to give us, that newness, it's not like the software update on your phone where everything is basically the same, but now you have more emojis and a shorter battery life. When Jesus makes something new, he makes it radically different. When Jesus makes you new, he makes you radically different. Verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. The old covenant is flawed. (gasps) Did you just say that the law of God is imperfect? That the law of God is bad? That it's broken? No. But we are. There is a problem with the old covenant, and the problem is us. That we cannot hope to satisfy it. See, no amount of good living or rule following, no amount of moral, ethical behavior and being a good person and living a good life will ever be enough. Because the purpose of the law was never to teach you how to be perfect. The purpose of the law was to reveal to us how wildly imperfect we are. Because if we put our hope and our faith in our performance, in our ability, in the quality of our life, we are setting ourselves up for a really bad disappointment. We are not perfect. So Jesus came to be perfect for us. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. See, all religions share fundamental similarities, and they're built around three things. Here's what we value. Here's what we believe. 
Here's the do's and don'ts. Because the fundamental essence of religion is always focused on behavior modification. Do this, don't do that. Then Jesus comes, and he changes all the rules. Jesus doesn't care about behavior modification. What he seeks is heart transformation. Now, when your heart changes, your behavior does as well. But here's the difference. Behavior modification changes what you do. Heart transformation changes what you desire. Jesus doesn't just want to change how you behave. He wants to change the essence, the core of who we are. And the beauty of this is that the work that we need done isn't done by us. It's done to us. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And he begins to mold you, and he begins to shape you, and he begins writing the law of God on your heart. This is how your desire changes. He changes the core of what you desire to make it in line with Jesus. Because when you surrender to Jesus, you become the workmanship of God, the sanctuary of God. It is not our work, our effort, our molding and shaping ourselves that makes us new. We are not made more like Jesus by performing well and following a bunch of rules and resisting our own sinful nature. We are made more like Jesus by willfully surrendering ourselves to him. The Bible refers to this as dying to yourself. See, the Holy Spirit moves into your life. When he takes hold of your heart, he begins to mold you into the image of Jesus. Do you know what you have to do to become more like Jesus? Let him. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Well, hold on. What about all the rituals and the rules and the practices and the traditions? What about all that stuff? One thing matters. What do you do with Jesus? It's not about how you look, how you dress, how you talk. It's not about the appearance of the thing. It's not about what you call yourself or what you claim to believe. It's about what you do with Jesus. Do you long for him? Do you pursue him? Do you desire obedience to him? Do you desire him? And let me be clear about this. Desiring Jesus is not, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to pick Jesus. Jesus is not your fire insurance. The point of Jesus is not, well, I want to go to heaven and be in paradise, so I'm going to hold to Jesus because I think he's the way there. Listen, the point of Jesus is not to get you to heaven. The point of heaven is to be with Jesus. Do you desire above all things Jesus, because he desires you. 
He left the throne room of God, gave up equality with God, was made like us in every way to suffer and die on a cross for sins that he did not commit because he desires you. And in the process, he tore down the old temple and he rebuilt a new one in you. One of my favorite things about being a pastor is watching people come through the doors and try to behave differently because this building is special. This building is holy. You going to talk like that in church? You going to say that in church? You going to act like that in church? You better check yourself. God's watching you. <laughs> sure, because the all-knowing God isn't watching you all the time. It's really only when you're in a building that's technically classified as a church on the IRS documents. That's how that works. All-knowing just really means in the building. Right, but we walk through, and you get people that, like, they're Saturday night, they're in the bars cussing like a sailor. They walk through the doors on Sunday morning, and they're like, oh. <laughs> Guys, the doors are not magical. They don't even keep the heat out that well. That's why it's like 5,000 degrees in here. The building is not special. We walk around like it is. We treat it like it is because we are far too concerned with what we do in this space and not nearly concerned enough with what we do in this one. If you are engaging in behavior that you would find unacceptable in the house of God, that behavior is everywhere you go. This space isn't holy, but you are, because the Spirit of God dwells within you. When you understand that, it changes your perspective on everything. Worship stops being some special thing that you do in some special place. When the Spirit of God dwells within you, worship is everywhere you go. In everything that you do, all things are an act of worship. How you behave at school, how you behave with your neighbor, how you talk at work. When you're driving down Carolina Forest Boulevard, the left lane of the car in front of you is only going five miles an hour over the speed limit, and you're freaking out because you're like, listen, some of us want to break the law for real. Move. That's the Spirit of God with you. Not doing that, right? Let's not say that's not good. If the behavior is unacceptable in this space, it's unacceptable in all spaces. When you understand that the Spirit of God dwells within you, Sunday morning stops being the exception and it becomes the standard upon which all other days should mirror. You should be the same person when you walk through those doors as you are on Saturday night, on Friday night, on Thursday morning, Monday morning. See, in the garden, he was God over us. At Bethlehem, he became God with us. At Calvary, he became God for us. And now through the resurrection of Jesus and our surrender to him, he becomes God in us. This is not the sanctuary. You are. 
And that is one of the greatest sources of peace and comfort that you will ever know. You ever pray, asking God to be with you? Like, I'm going through something right now. I got some stuff coming up in the next day. I just need you to be with me. God, can you just be with me? Ever ask God for that? You know that as a believer, you never have to ask for it? You never have to ask God to be with you. Because of Jesus, because of the transformation that he brings, because of the newness of life that he brings, there has never been a moment since you surrendered to him where he wasn't with you. Because because of Jesus, God no longer dwells among his people. He now dwells within his people. And so everywhere you go, you have a comforter, and you have an encourager, and you have a supporter, and you have someone who challenges you and pushes you to grow and empowers and equips you to do the work that God has called you to do. You are never alone in it. This world is full of pain, struggle, heartache, and loss. And every one of us is walking through our own journey, our own struggle with that at this moment. We all face fear and stress and worry. You know why? You know where those things come from? They all come from the same place. They come from not feeling like you are in control. Because if you felt like you were in control, you wouldn't be afraid. If you felt like you were in control, you wouldn't be worried. You wouldn't be stressed. What do you have to stress about? You're in control. You got it. Life is filled with things we know we can't control. So we are afraid. We stress. We worry. Because we're not in control. The God who spoke the universe into existence, the creator and sustainer of all life, the God who has power over all things and is in control of all things, dwells within you. You are not in control of anything, but you always have access to the one who is in control of everything. Because the beauty of this new system, of this new covenant built on these new promises, you don't have to go through some third party. You can find somebody else to do the work for you. You have direct, immediate access to the one who is in control of all things, all the time. Church, this means that there is no struggle that you will face in this life that you will face alone. Because we can be afflicted, but we will not be crushed. We can be perplexed, but we will not know despair. We can be persecuted, but we will not be forsaken. We can be struck down, but we will not be destroyed. Because you are the sanctuary. You are the place where God dwells in his people. And you carry with you the power and the presence and the purpose of God in everything you do. And so church, it is time that we stop walking around like scared little sheep in a den of wolves. It's time that we stop living in fear, cowering in stress and worry and allowing all the things that the world around us struggles and fears and worries about to invade our lives. It is time that we walked in the power and the peace of the God who dwells within you. Don't waste this life worrying about stupid things that don't matter. 
Don't rob the joy of your creator, the joy of the life that Jesus gives by stressing out over things that you couldn't control to begin with. Live in the power and the purpose of God that you can walk out of these doors being the same person you are inside this room because you're taking the sanctuary with you wherever you go. Walk out with boldness and courage to do what Jesus has called you to do. Not in shame, not in loss, not in defeat. Because where you walk, God walks with you, so do something with it. shadows are gone. You have the light. Church, it's time to stop being afraid of the dark. Because you are the temple. You're the sanctuary. It's time to do what Jesus has called you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would give us boldness that you would give us the courage to not shrink back with a spirit of timidity, but the passion to move with power in the world around us, to share your love, to share your grace, to share your word without apology or fear, that we would live for you, that Sunday would not be the exception where we try to act like your followers, but that it would be the defining mode of our lives, that we would pursue you seek you, grow in you every day. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us surrender our hearts to you fully and completely. I pray that you would be relentless in your tearing down of any walls we build up against you. Let us be new. Let us be the sanctuary that you've designed and created us to be. For those who need peace, God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with it. For those who need comfort, God, I pray that you would give them that comfort. But for all of us, I pray that you would give us the passion and the power to do the work that you have set us apart to do. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. Amen.